Greetings. This is Roger Kimball, the editor and publisher of The New Criterion. It is my pleasure here in the waning days of 2020, that honest horribilis, to introduce you to our January 2021 issue, which is hot off the press. I think we must have wanted to say a spirited goodbye to 2020, because we have put together what I think is one of our best issues to date. We start off with a terrific essay by Gary Saul Morrison on Dostoevsky and freedom, a beautiful reconsideration of George Eliot's Middlemarch by Myron Magnet, a very thoughtful piece by Alan Gelzo on the fate of Robert E. Lee in Lexington. Will the name and statuary of the great general survive at the university that partly bears his name. No one knows yet, but we hope for the best. Finally, our last feature is by John Steele Gordon, and it's an allegro piece about Benjamin Franklin. It's called Fabulous Franklin, and you will see why. The January issue comes replete with book reviews, poems, and critical essays too numerous to recall here, but you won't want to miss it. It really is, I think, one of our best issues to date. As a sort of hors d'oeuvre, I'll read to you now our notes and comments for the January 2021 issue. It's called the, in quotes, doctor, end quotes, will see you now. And it has an epigraph from Anthony Powell's novel, The Kindly Ones, one of the volumes in his Dance to the Music of Time. Trelawney was always changing his style, even his name too, I believe, which is, of course, no more Trelawney than my own is. Nor does anyone know why he should be addressed as doctor. Joseph Epstein is indisputably one of America's finest essayists. He is also one of the most wide-ranging. He writes lively and companionable reconsiderations of such major writers as Matthew Arnold, Henry James, and George Santayana. These are intellectually substantial pieces whose learning is considerable but lightly worn. He writes occasional essays after the fashion of a Mencken, a Macaulay, or a Montaigne. And he writes brief, timely op-eds whose hallmarks are humor, moral insight, and quiet humanity. Epstein is sometimes decorously polemical. He is always entertaining. Epstein is no stranger to controversy. He has, in the course of a long career, often attracted the ire of the politically correct establishment. Dyspeptic feminists, especially, exhibit an allergy to his writing, as do other scolds, churls, and campaigners for causes. Anyone, in short, more generously endowed with a sense of his or her own election than a sense of humor. Although he is the recipient of many awards and honors, Epstein's trespasses against the brittle carapace of sisterhood have not proceeded without cost to him professionally. It was one such foray, for example, that ended his editorship of the American Scholar, where he was ensconced from 1975 to 1997, a literary quarterly that flourished greatly under his guidance, 
but has since declined into a backwater of unread and unreadable bulletins from the babbling font of inveterate self-congratulation. Epstein's latest transgression appeared last month in the pages of the Wall Street Journal. It was a light-hearted op-ed called, Is There a Doctor in the White House? Not if you need an M.D. In it, Epstein pokes gentle fun at Jill Biden, who on January 20th, 2021, is slated to become First Lady of the United States. He also offers her some sound advice. Some 15 years ago, Mrs. Biden took an Ed.D. degree at the University of Delaware with a dissertation on, wait for it, quote, student retention at the community college level, meeting students' needs. Apparently, Mrs. Biden likes to call herself Dr. Biden, a proclivity that Epstein says, quote, sounds and feels fraudulent, not to say a touch comic. She should, Epstein advised, drop the title, if for no other reason than that it communicates less honor than affectation and social insecurity. In the United States, anyway, it is generally understood, though seldom mentioned in polite society, that the less distinguished one's academic institution, the more likely one will insist upon the honorific doctor. And that's for Ph.D. degrees. The degree of Ed.D., officially a doctor of education, is, let's be candid, more a certificate than a degree. Yes, one is entitled to the title doctor, but it's only a short step or half step up from those entertainers and purveyors of boutique soaps who style themselves doctor or doc, Dr. Bronner, for example, or Doc Watson. In this country, in most situations, doctor is an honorific properly reserved for medical doctors. We understand that there are notable exceptions. Dr. Henry A. Kissinger comes to mind. But exceptions do not make the rule. In short, we believe that Mr. Epstein was doing Mrs. Biden a favor by pointing this out, though it is doubtless true that he was also doing his readers a favor by pointing it out publicly. Delicious was the word many connoisseurs employed. But neither Team Biden nor the woke establishment that embraces the Bidens appreciated the effort. Indeed, their response was swift, irate, and uncompromising. In a robust response to the response, Paul A. Gigot, the editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, described the tsunami of complaint that Epstein's article elicited. It started slowly, he noted, but quickly grew to a, quote, flood of media and Twitter criticism, including demands that I retract the piece, apologize personally to Mrs. Biden, ban Mr. Epstein for all time, and resign and think upon my sins, end quote. Clearly, he concluded, the outcry was a calculated political strategy. Michael La Rosa Mrs. Biden's press secretary, sounded the gong of feminist outrage. Quote, if you had any respect for women at all, 
he wailed in a tweet, you would remove this repugnant display of chauvinism from your paper and apologize to her. That imprecation was still reverberating when Doug Emhoff, the husband of Kamala Harris, assured the world that, quote, Dr. Biden earned her degrees through hard work and pure grit. Not just grit, you see, but pure grit in pursuing, like a pedagogical gastroenterologist, quote, student retention at community colleges. We suspect that Go is correct. My guess, he said, is that the Biden team concluded it was a chance to use the big gun of identity politics to send a message to critics as it prepares to take power. There's nothing like playing the race or gender card to stifle criticism. No, indeed, there isn't. And Northwestern University, the institution at which Epstein taught for many years, got the memo. A communique from the English department came wrapped in snotty academic presumption just in time for the holidays. Quote, the department is aware that a former adjunct lecturer, a former adjunct lecturer, mind you, not one of us important tenured profs, who has not taught here in nearly 20 years, has published an opinion piece that casts unmerited aspersion on Dr. Jill Biden's rightful public claiming of her doctoral credentials and expertise. An official university bulletin expanded on this theme of credentialism. Quote, Joseph Epstein was never a tenured professor at Northwestern, (laughs) so what, one might ask, and has not been a lecturer here since 2002. Then comes one of our favorite wheezes, asserting your commitment to something you actually despise and reject. Quote, while we firmly support academic freedom and freedom of expression, sure you do, we do not agree with Mr. Epstein's opinion and believe the designation of doctor is well deserved by anyone who has earned a PhD, an EdD, or an MD. They conclude by firing up the beacon of virtue signaling and letting the light shine wide. Quote, Northwestern is firmly committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and strongly disagrees with Mr. Epstein's misogynistic views. If Epstein were being misogynistic in pointing out a home truth to Jill Biden, was the Washington Post engaged in xenophobia, when it made fun of the foreign-born Hungarian-American commentator and Trump supporter Sebastian Gorka for identifying himself as Dr. Gorka. He, quote, likes to be called Dr. Gorka, the WAPO sniffed in 2017, but, quote, he gets his way only in conservative media. And what about Ben Carson? The current secretary of HUD is also the former director of pediatric neurosurgery at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. That is, he's a real doctor. Yet the New York Times regularly identifies him as, quote, Mr. Carson, even as it lovingly refers to Jill Biden as doctor. Is that racist, or is it merely intolerant woke leftism in action? As the author and commentator Glenn Reynolds sharply observed, quote, 
It's good to see the weight of our journalistic and academic establishments being brought to bear to protect the self-esteem of a rich, powerful white woman. In an American context, Melania Trump is a genuine exotic. She hails from a small country in the Balkans, is fluent in half a dozen languages, and has devoted herself with what Mr. Emhoff might call hard work and pure grit to achieve success far from the coddled purlieus of government sinecure. We do not remember a single women's magazine featuring her on its cover over the last four years, despite her physical beauty and glamour. The New York Times has not been rushing puff pieces about her into print, nor has academia rallied round with its lackeys to flatter her. Last month, after the electors met to cast their votes for him, Joe Biden once again made a plea for unity. Quote, Now it's time to turn the page, to unite and heal, he said. We applaud that sentiment, but we wonder what he meant by unite and heal. To judge by the actions of the institution supporting his cause in this sorry episode, turning the page might just be euphemism for sweeping everything and everyone out of step with his program into the oubliette. It was not an encouraging sign that Northwestern University, in addition to issuing its pronunciamentos about Epstein, should go full Orwell, or full Stalin, and erase him from their website listing the Maritai faculty, despite those earnest declarations of support for academic freedom and freedom of expression. As Gigo warned in his column for the Wall Street Journal, this is how cancel culture works. It is very rare that Gigo responds in print to criticism of what appears in his pages. Doubtless, this is because he understands that criticism is a natural part of the metabolism of opinion journalism. In the normal course of our political life, it is not only expected, but salutary. People have different points of view about contentious issues. A respectful airing of those differences is, or should be, part of the lifeblood of democracy. If Shigo stepped into print over this contretemps, it was not so much to defend Epstein, or even to respond to the chihuahua-like yappings of his interlocutors. It was to sound an alarm against that big gun of identity politics he found operating in the background. The governing strategy of identity politics is not to encourage free expression, but to shutter it. In essence, it is a totalitarian enterprise, deploying the shibboleths of race, gender, and radical egalitarianism to enforce a stultifying conformity. It is heartening to see Gigot affirming that at one of our nation's most important newspapers. These pages aren't going to stop publishing provocative essays merely because they offend the new administration or the political censors in the media and academe. If, as we suspect, the preview we just witnessed was a sort of sighting shot, it suggests that Gigot is going to have his hands full, dealing with ever more intolerant efforts to turn the page and enforce ghastly new modes of healing 
and unity. This is Roger Kimball signing off for the new Criterion. I look forward to talking to you next month.